This is the JWN Podcast. My guest today is a visual artist whose current work is primarily based on a fantastical world of his own creation using watercolor paintings and drawings. Vic Hart has found a way to connect with fans by sparking their imaginations with his very unique creations at art shows and conventions. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Vic Hart. <laughs> All right, man. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I, I just saw you at a Comic-Con. Yeah. Comic Captain's, Expo. Captain's Comic Expo. Which, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to say surprisingly, but not surprisingly, it, it seemed pretty to go pretty well like everyone was pretty responsible yeah. it was i didn't did you notice anyone like not wearing masks or being uh, angry about it um i feel like i noticed one one person with the mask down and then two older folks doing the uh the face shield which yeah. i know i see i think cdc recommends you don't do that right um, but i've done other conventions that were much uh much more lenient like they, they still have you know you're required to wear a mask when you come in but like you see people walking through uh yeah. they're not wearing masks or you know they just don't give a shit so yeah good I, on good on mike and the the swell folks at captain's comics i i was i had this whole conversation with my son i, I for the last few years i've taken or it's, i don't know how long the comic expo has been going on it's, been over five years i guess now right? at least over five years yeah uh, well oh it's 13 years i think that's what the um teenage mutant ninja turtles theme of the whole expo is because they turned teenager oh i did not even realize yeah, that they, okay they used um so for people listening there there's a comic expo in charleston every year by the local cool comic store mm-hmm. and uh it's great it's like a small it's like a scaled down comic expo compared to like what you might think of for comic-con yeah. yeah yeah but it's perfect it's it's just in it's in this auditorium and uh it, it's a lot of fun lots of original artists lots of uh collector type stuff and people yeah. dress and of course the fun part of people dressing up yeah i would say it's like the the ideal version of your local comic expo yeah yeah which is like they might get it like a couple like kind of bigger names, but uh-huh. it's not like, you know, because you have like San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con, which some people say, you know, it's uh, it's basically one giant advertisement these days. You know, it's, it's less a comic expo. It's more like, OK, we're going to have Marvel come on and they're going to show the trailers for their next five years worth of right. films. Uh, this new movie's coming out, blah, 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 blah. And it's it's less about the 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 creators are more about yeah the massive it, it, branding it, it's it's like mm-hmm. a, it's like an electronics expo or something like those it, exactly or, yeah yeah where it's big name with million, million dollar booths and things like this whereas captain's comics it's hundred dollar booth <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know exactly. It, it's local people uh and regional artists and some some national artists but for the most part i guess there's it's almost like a traveling fair to a certain degree, but a lot more local input. Yeah, more or less. And, and I think a lot of a lot of the vendors treat it like a traveling fair because they're they're like the guy next to me who um like he wasn't even the artist. He I think he he was like in business with the artist. Right. And he had that you probably noticed it was like that like fifteen foot tall like oh, yeah. print display. And those folks, that's that's what they do for a living. Some of them they just travel from convention to convention. Yeah. Selling prints. 
you know, whatever they make, they put it back, they get more print, put it into the, the gas tank, they go to the next one, uh-huh. which I think this year has probably been one of the hardest years for them. So, you know, yeah, so having something like Happiness coming. Yeah, having it, like having it come back, I think is, I know some people are still very, uh, very critical of it. Um, like another event I do, the, the, the South Carolina punk flea market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's still, you know, that, that sense of worry about it. And like, is yeah. this, is this, um, it's an understandable concern. Yeah. And, is, yeah. Is this irresponsible to do something like this? Right. And in a way it is like, I, I, I would be lying and saying if I, if I felt, if I didn't it, feel any guilt every time I go to do one, but it, it, there's a complex feeling because yeah. Because um, you comfort, you might have a level of comfortability mm-hmm. that other people don't. And, yeah, yeah. But also, it's a source of income for a lot of people, and that's yeah. and that's one of the main reasons they do it. Like I, I, I recently quit my my job at a artist and craftsman back in October, and these shows are have become a pretty major source of income for me. So, yeah, it's like yeah, it's irresponsible. But the way I look at it, I I was already working a retail job five days a week to begin with, so I'm. I just kind of view it as like trading. You're very exposed. All yeah, the time. I'm I'm trading one risk for another, more yeah, or less. But but for, from a risk factor, uh, the reason why I brought it up, uh, my sentiment was that uh, everyone everyone seemed very not everyone all the people I encountered when I was there seemed very responsible, and it, it seemed like um, you know the the bare minimum of wearing a mask is so effective. Yeah. It's, you know, the best thing you do is stay home. Yes. Yeah. But we're at the point right now where like treatments are available. Mm-hmm. Your likelihood of of dying or a loved one, you know, dying from it has come down greatly. Yeah. Uh, um, so with all that information, you take this calculated kind of guess or decision. I'm sorry. You make a calculated decision to say, like, yeah. what's my risk? What's my reward? Am mm-hmm. I am I putting people in danger? And I think right now we're at that point where it, the 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 uh, the the, um, the balance has shifted a little bit to the point where, hey, you know what? We we can do stuff if, if everyone's on board and acts responsibly. Yeah, you can do these kinds of things. And I felt that way there. I was not, but my son, I couldn't convince to come with me this mm-hmm. year. He was he's. 17 years old he was just like i don't know i don't feel like being in a room with people i'm like well we can go there and if you don't feel comfortable just leave yeah you know uh, and when i got there i was like man i you know so i ended up doing a facetime tour of the whole thing with him walking around showing him everything that's going on and i ended up buying him a bunch of stuff while <laughs> I was there. like uh, you know he got the benefit of it he got to virtually did, go did he express regret after you walked him around like no no, no, no. he's like not at all. Okay. No, he was he was just like he he kind of made his decision. He was fine with it. But mm-hmm. at, uh, but that's the thing. Like he mm-hmm. he has that. I'm not going to force him to go. Yeah. And um, honestly, I think like like how, how old your son now? Seventeen. Yeah, yeah. That's good on him because like that's another thing. You say like people seem very responsible at that show, and they were. And I mean, as someone who lives in downtown Charleston. Yeah. I mean. Once again, like back when I worked at the artist and craftsman, you know, Friday night when we close up the shop and leave, there was this uh, this nightclub a couple doors down. I won't say the name of it, but I mean, <laughs> line half the block going out the door, yeah. young people, you know, within inches of each other, and most of them not wearing masks. And you get the feeling that like 80 percent of those kids already had it at the beginning of the oh, yeah. summer. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but that's the feeling you get because you're like, why are you so carefree about this? 
you probably already had it and you're like, well, I, I got mine to so fuck you. you yeah. Know? It's either that or they just don't care. I don't, I, cause, um, and I actually don't know if I should be saying this. Nah, so you can edit the part out if you feel like you need to. Nah, nah, nah. Uh, like my girlfriend, she like she works at the college and they actually have a uh, they have this like tracker app thing. I don't know. I don't know how, if it's just like a text update or whatever, but it um it tells them how many concurrent cases there are within the college. Wow. Um, and usually it like science gets this down as low as like eight people have it which mm-hmm. i mean i think that's great for the college yeah. um but around november went up to 50 and january there was at one point i think it was over 100 cases so mm-hmm. I, I think it's definitely a case of, of the young folk not yeah not <laughs> not caring i don't know uh, they're just being young folks yeah um but it's it's the the sad part is them coming home and bringing it like my my wife's business partner her whole family got it because her daughter's at Clemson. Yeah. And they went and visited her for the holidays. And then they, oh, they their yeah. present was the whole family ended up with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were fine. They they recovered. Everything is is fine and all of that. But yeah, that's that's kind of uh the the downside to that selfishness is they don't understand how it affects everyone else. Yeah. But but where we are right now, I feel like I, I was joking for a while saying, hey, we lost this war. We might as well just friggin' not care as a joke. But in a certain in a certain aspect, you're just like, at the, you know, all I can do is what I think is right in my given situation. And I want to protect other people. So I will wear the mask constantly oh, yeah. when I'm out and about and I don't have a problem with it. If they were tell, to tell us we have to wear masks for the next five years, I'd be like, oh, OK. Yeah, and I, I honestly, haven't had a cold in in in, in a year and a half. <laughs> and honestly, like I sometimes I wonder if that's just going to be the case because there's that talk of okay, at what point after you know what what percentage of vaccination do we not need to wear a mask anymore? And part of me also wonders if it's just going to become like a cultural thing. Like a lot of you know Eastern countries, yeah, they've been doing this for years. Like yeah. someone gets someone gets a nasty cold, they go to work and they just wear a mask all day. That's just what they do. And it, it's it's interesting to me that that seemed like such a hard thing for people to just. It's against the accept. sentiment of like that American um, like individual thing. individualism. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Ameri- yeah. Like America is very very. Yeah. Yeah. It's like very much individualist. Was like, I don't. Why? Why do I have to wear? It? Because it, it's because it, it, if everyone does it, it means less people die. Yeah. Yeah. It's a simple thing. So yeah. I don't have a problem with all of that stuff. But that said, I do feel like at this point in time, the numbers have dropped drastically and we need to just be able to react kind of New Zealand style. Like they just went back under lockdown, lockdown in like Auckland because there was like, like somebody got it, you yeah. know, after a month of nobody having it. So then they all locked down right yeah. away to make sure no one else gets it again. Um, we don't have that ability to do that, <laughs> but we do have the ability to just mask up and maybe not go out every night, that type of thing. Yeah. But but I, I am feeling more and more comfortable now to to go and engage some sense of like the previous version of normalcy. And, and that's just where I am. But then I have friends that are not there yet. So trying to have like make plans with them to do stuff, it becomes complicated. Is there outdoor seating? Is there indoor seating? Blah, blah, blah. What are we doing? Are we going here? Is there going to be a lot of people? I don't want to be there if there's a lot of people. Like you have these conversations with people. And so it's going to be a long time before everyone is on the same page again to just kind of feel comfortable being around 
each other and and oh, other yeah. strangers. I, I agree completely. Um, but but you know, <laughs> at the art in the, it, it, at this art comic expo thing, I just I felt like. It didn't feel all that different from the past as far as like what was being offered in the experience. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, the mask thing, everyone was, like I said, everyone I saw was wearing a mask. And I, okay, I feel comfortable here and I don't have to be inside the building for long. I can go in there in that room for 20 minutes and maybe step outside, get some fresh air. You know, they had the doors open because it was warm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I never once felt uneasy or because when I like when, you know, these kind of shows started first opening back up, there were a couple instances of people just. Like I remember once there was like an old lady and she was wearing a Make America Great Again hat at this uh-huh. convention I was doing and she had no mask on. And there it was just that kind of feeling like. Imagine uh, that that was like a really cool prosthetic mask, and that she was playing the character of a MAGA person. <laughs> that was like there was like this like was, sheer thin material that was just yes. kind of, like like you know Mission Impossible style mask, and, and that was her cosplay. Oh, that that would be amazing. <laughs> I, I I don't think she had the the the, the cleverness needed to pull that off. I think it was just an old lady who's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's weird how how somehow they they allowed health to be politicized. Um, yeah, it, it's an odd it's an odd thing, and and uh, you know we'll look back at this and probably learn nothing. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like I've thought about that too because my uh, my girlfriend and I we you know we talked about like having kids one day, and there's that thought of like you know, twenty five years from now, how will they talk about this? Yeah, in schools as far as. Like from a historical standpoint, like how good thing is, is you, especially in you know, public schooling, history has a lot of spin on it, how they present it to children. Uh-huh. And I, I wonder what the spin is going to be. That shows yeah, them. I, I don't know. I, it, it feels to me because if we were to do nothing, which is what we did in 2020. Yeah. It, it, you know, for we, it's not like we, we did, did something. We, we did for the listeners at home. I'm doing finger quotes. We did something for like two and a half months, and then good yeah. old, good old Donnie was like, "We're we're we're back, whether you like it or not." And then mm-hmm. it just dive bombed. Yeah, and, and it's funny because the science, the scientists predicted something, he rejected it, and the scientists were right. And mm-hmm. it's like, why are we trusting this guy, uh, this person who has no concept of like? using professional opinions and making a logical decision with our health, you know, but all said and done our track record as a country compared to the rest of the world, we failed miserably. Oh, 100%. We, we failed miserably. What do we learn from that though? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, if we can, is that the price we pay? It's, it's like these people in Texas who just went through this freeze because they deregulated all of their energy system and they're not required to weatherize it because there's no regulation. Um, what do they learn? This happened to them 10 years ago. It happened to them now. They didn't do anything last time. They're not going to, they've already said they're not going to do anything now. They're just going to be like, yeah, we'll take, we'll roll the dice. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's like, it's a pretty accurate picture of how America has acted when yeah. you pull back. Yeah. I think there is this, uh, especially among younger folk now, there's this realization of, this is indicative of the larger picture that is 
the beautiful United States of America, um, where it's just this weird stubbornness to change, even when it is 100% beneficial. If, if it, if it in some way inconveniences them, yeah, they just don't want to do it. Right. Like, yeah. But, like I think the thing but it's in been Texas, weaponized. Yeah. Yeah. It's been politicized. Exactly. Yeah. Like also it, I don't know if any Republicans are listening to this. Sorry for upsetting you, but uh, like, yeah, like Fox News. Uh, so the one I say the one truly irresponsible thing I do I I work at a Planet Fitness mm-hmm. helps with my anxiety. The ellipticals there, the, like it, you can almost always see Fox News yeah. on one of the TVs up there, and by it, it's just propaganda at this point. Like yeah. it's not news. They. Because I, I, mean, I don't listen to it, but I see just the headlines that go across, and I see that who's that one that one shitty guy with the the, the bow tie, Tucker. Carlson. Yeah, Tucker Carlson. Just I <laughs> I, I remember I'm watching that. He's just his disgusting face. Just he's talking. always got a scowl. Yeah, yeah, and he and he, he he wants to talk about elites, and just watching him and watching the headlines. Like there's one where I had a it was like two weeks after uh, after Biden took it took office. Uh, it had a photo of Donald Trump that says, miss me yet. And I was like, what the, f- what are these? Which, by the way, I had a client who had that same sentiment with a picture of, of George W. Bush. And it said, miss me yet. He had, this was a coffee mug on his desk after <sighs> Obama was elected. And I was just like, no, we don't miss him. He, yeah. was, he was like, he was at the time the worst president. Now, yeah. you know, he's been one-upped. By- yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it's funny. Yeah, you look at, uh, you, you look at, at Bush's presidency and time, like, there's almost this like, Man, that, those, those days were so quaint compared well, cause, to... Because I never felt like Bush was a, 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 an actual evil person. I thought oh, yeah. that he was actually an empathetic, nice person. If mm-hmm. you were to sit down and talk to him, yeah. you'd probably enjoy his company. Yeah. On, um, like a, on, on a wide, on a, you know, a, yeah. a global scale, he technically can be considered a war criminal. But like as a personal person, if you just sat down and talked to him... Yeah, yeah but... Same thing with Ronald Reagan. Like these are people. Like yeah, you could you you could find the good qualities in him. Yeah, I, I can't find that in Trump at all. Yeah, it <laughs> it does not. It, I I don't think there are any at this point. He's just this. I mean, you know, demagogue. I think that word gets thrown mm-hmm. around a lot, but I think he truly he truly fits that. He's that, he's that so obviously mold. for himself. He's so yeah. everything he does is what benefits Donald Trump mm-hmm. and and his and, and him. Uh, not I don't even know if he get, cares about his family. I have no idea. It doesn't seem like it. I mean, it's obviious he doesn't care about even his closest allies. Like, right? He'll throw anyone in, like, under the like bus. Like what happened to Pence? They were stuck in that building when his supporters were storming it. I, I, I was like, imagine being Pence's daughter. Right. I think his, I think his daughter's like a, I think she's like seventeen. She she's not you know she's not old. Imagine being in that building and hundreds of people you don't know are breaking the windows and storming in and chanting hang Mike Pence right imagine like imagine your dad's boss's supporters Mm -hmm. are possibly going to try to kill you like that that is such a wild reality I don't even think it's possibly trying I think if they got a hold of him they would have oh yeah the the mob mentality was out of control I don't think I don't think I think there's probably definitely a handful of people there that of it, like they went there with the intention of like, if I get my hand on a Democratic senator, I'm going to murder them. But I think it definitely would have escalated. Mm-hmm. It would have escalated and where eventually everyone would have been on it. Right. Like I think if if it had been allowed to, like I, I could see like you know setting fire to that building, you know, trying to drive people out. 
Probably literally hanging Mike Pence. Like, yeah, they didn't set up a gallows. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the the construction of it made it made it look like it was more symbolic than anything. Yeah, but regardless, that mob mentality was so out of hand that when you see people with Blue Lives Matter uh, flag beating cops with it. <laughs> Then you realize that, yeah. like, there's no logic left in this. They've, they've gone mob mentality. And so, yes, they would have killed him. They would oh, have yeah. killed him if they got his hands on him. There's no mm-hmm. doubt in my mind because, mm-hmm. like, when that girl who got shot and, and killed, you know, there's people with guns drawn and she's trying to crawl through the window. Yeah. Like, and- there's no amount of of personal safety or safety of others that's in your head and you're willing to do that. Yeah. I, I wonder about, like, like, yeah, like, what was going through her head when she did that? Did- was that a point? Because there, there's a video of some police officers just kind of standing back. I mean, like, yes. hey, y'all do yeah. do what you got to do. Did she? Did she think, oh, they're just that they're that they're just pointing their guns as like a threat. They're not going to shoot me, right? And the one was like, we got to shoot her now. And yeah, and like, did she or did she? Was she just completely blind? Like, just like had you know horse blinders on, just didn't think about what she was doing. It. I don't know. I, I wish I understood the, the human psyche, any of that stuff. And I think when you, if you took any single one of those people, the worst of them, right. And you, mm-hmm. you, you, you separated them out of that mob mentality, gave them a minute to cool down. I don't think any of them, I shouldn't say any, I don't think most of them yeah. would, uh, w- would be capable of the things they yeah. were doing. Yeah. It's, guy, just, it's just when you put them all together and that fire yeah. starts getting out of control, yeah. then yeah, they, I think they the, all went the, the guy in the, the bison outfit, I think he was probably pretty, I think he was probably pretty in, like into what he was doing. I don't know if you, but his, his, the way he's talking now, and it could just be his lawyers talking. He's a hundred percent like, oh my gosh, I was being brainwashed um, by Trump. Oh yeah. The, uh, the, the, the private jet lady, exact same thing, which I, I, I believe there's at least half of that as her lawyers. Like you need to show remorse because, right. um, Law court cases, your biggest well, biggest thing to get uh, to get yourself like on a give yourself a lighter sentence or let the judge just give you probation or whatever. Yeah, if you show remorse, if you show that you're sorry for it, most judges get very. Yeah. Uh, it kind of softens them up a little bit. So I imagine she probably does. Like she's like, what the hell was I thinking? Because I mean, even like uh, like I know like m- the majority of the Proud Boys they. From what I heard, I, the thing is, I, I I don't go on the on forums to actually see what they're saying, yeah. but apparently a lot of them hate Donald Trump now because you know, it's like he said he's for himself. Even after right. this all happened, he you know he gave that little statement like you're wonderful people, we care about you, but, <laughs> oh, <I> but <laughs> that's an awful impression. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, he hasn't said any, he hasn't made any statements towards them, and and you know they would probably argue that he you know he. He's either dealing with his own court cases or he's he's gone undercover, right? But yeah, it's just whenever whenever something is not uh, beneficial to him anymore, he just drops it. Yeah. Well, I I do hope at some point enough people wake up out of whatever trance they were in and genuinely like realize hey i got taken advantage of and and i I mean i wouldn't hold it against somebody um if they if they came out and said if like you know guy in the in the horns face paint guy war paint guy (laughs) you know if he was genuinely saying like dude i i got wrapped up in a thing like i got part of this group i was accepted i was like popular and I thought I was being righteous and I truly believed this, that, and the other thing. And once I realized that it was all mm-hmm. a lie and that I was being used uh, as a, as a, you know, 
a political thing, you know, tool for this guy to try to retain power. Uh, and I totally screwed up. Like I would be like, cool, you know, like, all right, yeah. let's, let's do, you know, do whatever sentence you, you get mm-hmm. handed and, and come out on the other side. And I think society should welcome those people back. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you um, know, give them a chance to, to, to be better people. But uh, again, I, I know that's not a popular opinion for me to say that. Well, <laughs> it's a matter of, um, see, I, I, it feels like empathy to me. Um, and I feel like a lot of people yeah. mistake empathy for sympathy. Right. And empathy is the ability to understand why that person thinks that way. Exactly. It's like, you don't, you don't agree with it or you don't, and you don't like feel bad for them. You're just like, this is what happened to them to make them like, this It's like, um, this is kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, but like actually not too much of a tangent. It probably there's some crossover, but are you aware of like the whole incel yeah. culture? It's like that where um, a lot of those guys and, and, and I think that's where the empathy comes in because when I was in high school, I was a very uh, awkward, lonely man. Mm-hmm. And most of those guys, it, it they were probably in a very similar situation. Probably didn't have a lot of friends. Um, very angry at the world because they just, they didn't fit in. They didn't fit in. And it, I mean, it's, it's how, it's how, you know, it's how cults get people too. It's, you know, mm-hmm. they, they find the people who are on the fringe who they just need a friend. And unfortunately for those people, uh, it was some guy on stormfront.org who became his friend. This is, by the way, what you're describing is my problem with cancel culture. And I hate that now cancel culture has become like this fucking rallying point for mm-hmm. the the ultra right people like that they're doing the CPAC and their whole theme is about cancel culture. And I'm like, dude, whenever I talk about this on this podcast, I hope people don't think I'm supporting what they're talking about. What I'm talking about is when you, um, when you cancel somebody for whatever reason it is, yeah. uh, what, what I fear is that you're pushing them into the arms of this other in, into the, the far right extremist people who will like welcome them with open arms. Oh yeah. And 100%. You, and that that's where they're going to find acceptance. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm scared of is like, instead of somebody learning from their mistakes and becoming better people, they're going to go the exact opposite and become even worse people because the people that are accepting them yeah. are the um, worst people. <laughs> oh yeah. 100%. Um, it's they're, 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 this seems like the idea of redemption and cancel culture. I'm, the listeners at home, I'm doing the finger quotes. Yeah, again. yeah. it's um, such a tricky subject. Because and, and the thing is, it's one of those things. The people who that who take part in that and mm-hmm. cancel culture, they they don't they don't see it that way. No, it's, it's it, become a it, it's it's a term that's been applied to it. Um, but yeah, the idea of redemption seems like it's it's an impossibility to them. It's mm-hmm. once you've um, once you've done the bad thing, you are it's like it's like you're dirty. Yeah, you're scarred for life. They, 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 there's this belief, and, and unfortunately, you know, if you, there are some people that it's true. They'll never. They're always going to be a broken person. I, I don't think Donald Trump could ever turn a corner oh, yeah. and become a better person. Uh, and yeah, in, there, in there, the there's, there's definitely a line. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then there's people like, like War Paint guy, who, and, and again. He might it might be just his lawyer talking for him and, and making him sound like he's he's seeking redemption. I don't know. Yeah. But there there's situations like that where the that person might set, turn around and be like be able to see what they've done and what they've represented and what it's done to him in his life mm-hmm. and understand like, hey, this is not 
my intention and I, I don't know yeah. how I got here. Yeah, you know? there's a, there, there's, it's a matter of knowing like, yeah, like where, where somebody is, is uh, I guess if you put on the political spectrum or put yeah. it on the spectrum of bad things to be done, there definitely is this uh, understanding where, you know, you can still kind of pull them back over. Yeah. Or this person, they're not irredeemable. Um, but yeah. Like, okay. So can I segue uh, uh, into, uh, I? so I used to Uber a few years back. No. And yeah, um, I just did a kind There's of There's an industry cash. that's stressful right now. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I actually DoorDash now, uh, but yeah, like probably three or four years ago, I, I Ubered and I like to tell the story because this is probably easily one of the most memorable Ubers I ever did. Um, I picked up this older couple, uh-huh. um, married couple, probably about around your age. And it was some bar on King Street. I can't remember which one. Um, and the wife was already like, they were drunk. Like right. you can tell this was a, they got drunk way too fast. They need to go home at like 8 p.m. thing. <laughs> wife passed out in the back seat and her husband sat in the, uh, in the passenger side. And on the way home, he he's just talking like a drunk guy, and I'm just kind of like, oh god! And I look, I look at Ursula like 20 minutes away, and you're like, yes, Miss Daisy, um, <laughs> just driving. It, yeah, and he he's telling me about some stupid book that he had is like a you know like one of those like bathroom reader books, and it's, it's something like things white people do or something. And oh no! And and he's like reciting his favorite jokes from it to me, um, and then he starts getting more and more like comfortable. Comf- racially comfortable to like say stuff. And then finally, like, I remember we we about passed the bridge to Mount Pleasant and he said, uh, he, he just said to me, he's like, man, I don't know if it makes me a bad person, man, but just, I, I got two daughters, man. And I just, I, I, I just don't think they, I won't let them date a black guy. I won't. And, uh, and I kind of just was driving and I had this moment where I honestly probably could have just pulled over and be like, you need to get the fuck out of my car right now. And just canceled the the Uber and right, but then you're sitting there thinking like I'm gonna get a negative review, and then I get the, the, the amount of trouble. Not, not, not even that is more as like okay, how am I gonna handle this guy? And I decided to. I was like, okay, well, I still got like 15 minutes. Um, and I, I talked to him about it, and I said, okay, here. Why do you feel that way? And I told him like, and I asked like, did you grow up in the South? Um. He said, yeah. And I said, okay, so you and I, we both um, grew up in this situation where we were taught something was bad inherently. Um, like, right. you know, because I'd be growing up in the South. I, you know, I also saw that, you know, that this, you know, cross-race dating was something to be looked down upon or something to be discouraged. Right. I remember I had this kind of, this, this thing hit me one day. I was like... 1920 maybe so like about a decade ago and i was walking through a walmart and i saw this couple it's a black guy and a white girl walking together and i mean i kind of looked at it and i just got this like feel like this weird like uh and then i stopped and i was like why did why does that bother me and i think it's because i was taught by you know mm-hmm. by certain cultural southern cultural uh like influences influences yeah, yeah. yeah to think that way. And I kind of reiterated the story to this guy and I told him, you know, and I, I, I could have gotten way more deep into it with like, you know, generational racism and like all that stuff. And I, I, I kept it simple for him. I was like, okay, imagine you get into an accident and you're blind. You just have lost your eyesight. He's like, 
oh, okay. He's, you know, he's still drunk. <laughs> and imagine your, imagine your daughter, she's 17. She brings home a guy, his name's Phil or something. And you can't see what he looks like. You have no idea what he looks like, but he's, you can tell he's a nice guy. Your daughter mm-hmm. starts dating him for a few months. He treats her well. He has a good job, you know, all that stuff. Um, why would the color of his skin matter? And he's like, and, and I'm pretty sure it was the alcohol talking, but the guy was just like, whoa, man. Like, oh, and I remember <laughs> we, we, I, I finally got to his house. Uh, he dragged his passed out wife <laughs> out of the back seat. <laughs> he's like, man, I got some, I got some stuff to think about, man. Like I really, you, man, thank you, man. Thank you. Um, or he, he didn't tip, so <laughs> so fuck that guy. But I hope that part of me hopes that maybe that actually made him reflect and he changed his viewpoint on life a little bit. It's entirely possible. But you planted morning. a seed, regardless, even if you didn't yeah. have an, an yeah. imme- uh, immediate thing. But but you see what you did there is you had two options. You could either shut the person out, yeah, and he will forever still be stuck in his in his uh, sphere of hatred, yeah, or you could be compassionate. And maybe try to, maybe just shine a tiny little bit of light yeah, on, just, on his opinion little, yeah. without without berating him or without making him feel like an asshole yeah. for being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. but, you know what I'm saying? But and 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 I understand that that sounds kind of like a, um, a superiority complex or being elitist if you're saying like I'm going to try to impose but, show but, him the, the but the but reality not, um, is you're on the right side of of like morality here. And and but right. instead of rejecting him and 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 instead of rejecting him and you, you chose to be compassionate and it's so much more effective. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with all of these these people. There are people who are on the fence and they they have a, a brand of mental illness, which is they believe something because that's all they were told. That's yeah. that's their influence in life. And and those people can 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 learn. Yeah. And, you know, and I think like you and I, 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 I like to think I am fairly educated in, uh-huh. you know, the going, the going on to the world. I, I, I understand the United States is not the greatest country in the world and you know, all that. Um, I think sometimes I, I, I try to think, okay, what, like what meat, like what, what do these people absorb as far as media goes? Cause some of these people, they, they won't listen to anything, um, right. except stuff that that um, reinforces what they already believe. So, you know, you got someone's, you know, someone's parent who they only watch Fox news. They believe CNN's the devil, mm-hmm. you know, they, they go to their specific church. They, yeah. They go to their very specific church. They, they really, li- they really liked the apprentice. They already really like Donald Trump. And, and, and so they, they're, they're the, the the world to them is sculpted in such a particular way mm-hmm. where they believe that it's you know borderline conspiracy theory stuff, yeah. but they that's the reality to them because they they have no other information coming in. Right, and and imagine yourself. Imagine if somebody were able to tell you, hey, all of your political beliefs and all of your more beliefs on morality and and all of that stuff. If someone came to you today and could prove to you without a without a fucking shadow of a doubt that everything you believed is is off yeah is wrong by a certain degree you'd be like fuck you yeah your your instant reaction yeah. would be to punch back and be like no yeah you're insane this is uh, of course i'm right and so 
when you come at these people with that kind of information and you say, hey, um, the reality is this is the situation. What you've been told is not actually you, you've never been given the full scope of information. Yeah. What do you think their response is going to be? They're going to be like, fuck you. So, so it has to be done in a way where you're not putting yourself above them, that you're putting yourself on the same page as them and trying to maybe come at it in a way to like understand where they're coming from. And then you can explain to them where you're coming from. And hopefully the greater good will come and rise to the top and, and like you'll, you'll learn something about them. They'll learn something about you and change maybe change they won't be so blunt and over time understand hey maybe i should be empathetic and love other people and not be an asshole and judge people by things that they can't control hopefully (laughs) um yeah it it, 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 yeah it's just it's a tough thing and and, um my girlfriend we talk about this too where it there's definitely that generational divide yeah um where we just have like you know, not me so much. Uh, my mom is pretty, uh, she's pretty in the middle. She really doesn't, she, she doesn't really follow, follow politics, but like, you know, her dad is very, uh, he conservative, uh, not even conservative. Like it, he almost gets into like that weird libertarian area, I think. Okay. Um, but he's very much like, you can't he buy his gold. Yeah. <laughs> he would. Yeah. Um, but also like, he doesn't like, it feels like he just doesn't trust the government. He, mm-hmm. he definitely doesn't trust liberals. He thinks Democrats like he's a lower, he, you know, he, he wants Democrats to uh, not one, but like he thinks that they, you know, they, they, they just want to destroy businesses. Like right. he's at that level. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, she's completely on the opposite side of that. Like she, she's sane, I guess is the way you could, you could say it. Um, and it's just like this weird, I, it just feels like there's just this wall between generations where it, it, it's hard to break that down too. Well, and it's, it's complex in, in, in America because oh, I, I yeah. do feel like, so I grew up in New York um, and I've seen what happens when you have either party has complete control, they get corrupted. And so you will see the corruption on the left as well. Gerrymandering. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a concept that only exists, I believe, on the right. I don't see that happening much on the left. But what I'm talking about is like whatever political party is has control Mm -hmm. over time, they they'll just they'll they'll they're easily corrupted. People people are attracted to power. They want to keep that power at all costs. Doesn't matter which side they're on. So so I, I understand that, but I also think that like there needs to be a little bit of a a a balance between the two because you have big cities where a lot of people live and their needs are so different than people living in rural areas Mm -hmm. rural areas don't need the same kind of regulation and and um oh yeah and government input as the people living on top of each other do Mm -hmm. so i think we work best when we balance those things and understand like hey we have to like loosen the straps on regulations so that people can can build something mm-hmm. but at the same time we don't want a situation where uh one company can just take over everything which is kind of what's happening in the world yeah but <laughs> yeah uh, there's a very few companies that you find out how much they own it, it's it's unbelievable oh, it's, yeah. it's mind-blowing it's depressing all that stuff but that's what happens if you if you have no regulation yeah. you know the power gets concentrated mm-hmm. if you have regulation the power can be divided but you still want 
you still want to balance. You want yeah. those those people who are able to, uh, because they're not being held down by over-regulation, to kind of like innovate and create something new and, and change the course of, of, of history. Like, you, you know, your, your Steve Jobs or your, your Elon Musk's, those type of people who, yeah. who can make huge changes where, but they shouldn't be allowed to take over everything. Yeah. You know, there's a certain level yeah. of like, and, yeah, okay, that's, you, and that's its own like complete like conversation there. Oh yeah. But, um, but I think America works best when, when we do try to keep it balanced because if, like I said, if we go too far in either direction, mm -hmm. it's the recipe for disaster yeah. there. But also I think it's an issue of, um, probably I don't know how, like I, I, I've noticed a lot of, uh, there's been a little more talk growing of like, maybe we shouldn't have a two party system. Right. Cause a lot of, a lot of developed worlds, they don't have a two party system. They have like, you know, five, six, seven, eight parties mm -hmm. that all get equal attention. Um, and that, uh, that it, what it does is it creates very much like it, it doesn't have a us versus them mentality. Cause that's also like the, the party divide now is so wide where right. you have Republicans. I like, I would never even listen to a Democrat and Democrats mm -hmm. are like, why the fuck would I talk to a Republican? I have um, friends from the statement I just made about like, hey, there needs to be some sort of balance because that's how we thrive. That would think that I'm a full right wing Republican for saying something so centrist. Yeah. And you what you're saying, saying is, is there are full on right wing Republicans who would think you're a radical leftist right. for saying that too. Both of the, both of the, the extremes mm -hmm. hate centrists. Yeah. And I, I for, for, for a lot of my beliefs as far as like morality, not centrist, but when it comes to like business and like, being empathetic towards other people and realizing, hey, there's other people with different views. Like, I think it's important. And I think diversity to me is, is an extremely powerful mm -hmm. and uh, source of strength. Like, so when you have different opinions and different thoughts on in any business, in any art form or anything, yeah. the more inputs that you have that are different, you're going to have like things that are amazing. You're going to oh, have yeah. an outcome that that is going to be well thought out and and really, you know, it, it it's possible to to uh, make something great with diversity. I think there's a lot of strength in diversity, and that applies to, unfortunately, yeah, to, to some but, people, political thought as well. Yeah, but this all ties in. I, you know, 40 minutes into this conversation of I, us talking of politics and and COVID and all this stuff, it does tie into art. By the way, I am an illustrator. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, man, <laughs> we really went off on a very long tan tangent, <laughs> but it all comes back to art because I do believe that, that as we were saying before, we all go into our little groups and our little things. And, and, and I think when people like the, the one advantage that artists have is a, is a way to, to, to build communities around this not quite as tangible like this this abstracted ver version of communication yeah. which leads me to your art which is wonderfully abstract you take a traditional medium so for people who don't know Vic and his art uh right now his current phase is watercolor based artwork and it's uh bright it's colorful and it's so um, surrealistic and, and, you know, it's something that looks like something, but doesn't, you know, like these creatures that you come up with, these spiders that you have, and then you look closer at them and you're like, what's all this stuff coming off of them? And they're made up uh -huh. of all these other complex things in these like space, like 
environments, these fantastical places, using a very traditional medium, you've created this completely fantastical experience for people who look at your art. And uh, I, I think it's amazing that you've come to this place because I've, I've known you for, for quite a few years now and I've, yeah. watched, I've watched your progression in the time I've known you. And I love to see like the things that are still holding out, but the thing that where you've kind of rested at the moment. Yeah. And, and talk to us a little bit about the community that like what got you into art and what that's meant for you as a human being, just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. What got, where did, how did you get into all this? Um, that, that's a, well, that's a great question, Joe, but, uh, <laughs> it's kind of tough to, I think, kind of, figure out like where it started. I mean, I, I could literally go back to like, you know, as a kid, like what I remember got me into drawing, which was one year for Christmas, my grandmother uh, bought me this little art set that came with a VHS. Um, I think the title was like how to draw Bruce Blitz cartoons. And it was this, some cartoonist. He had a very, you know, Sunday morning comic strip style. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's what got me started drawing. Like I remember I just would watch that VHS over and over again. And just, cause he kind of would teach like, first you do this shape and then you make a little, crescent for a smile and and i i think that's what kind of like really got me for at first is like just this combination of symbols that ended up looking like something like i remember uh in grade school i think i was probably in like second grade maybe i remember i had this uh thank you some, sorry I'm, get, get some, I'm, some, I'm refilling his uh his drinking get some folia up in here <laughs> our there you go. Yeah, like this, the, the sound of, of seltzer water for the up. ASMR folk out there. <laughs> um, but I remember I was, in, I was in maybe second grade, and I was drawing this little picture of a bee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this epiphany where I, I drew his eyes, and I realized, like, wait, if I draw a V above the eyes, he becomes an angry bee. And really, like me as a kid, that just blew my mind. Um, just. Stuff like that. I don't know, this kind of like this weird discovery of it. Um, or like when I remember like when I was a kid, one time I was trying to draw a Daffy Duck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I drew his feet out of the side like kids. You know, they draw feet. Um, and then I kind of realized like, wait, if I instead of drawing the side, if I kind of angle it forward, like, you know, I, I basically learned like that gives a sense of perspective. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Repeat the question because I feel like I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what uh, what got you, and you're on the right track. Yeah. What got you into art and like at what point did you kind of realize, you know, you realize like, it's oh, connecting am... you to other people and you've you've joined this community of artists and you're all, you know what I'm saying? Because I think that everything we just talked about beforehand um, with people getting into their different political groups and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. same thing, you know, if you have a... a uh, uh, a less, um, you know, violent <laughs> passion yeah. like art. Yeah. You can have the same ability to find your community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can, you can express to each other in, in a abstract way. So I want to know what your journey was from like, you discover art. And then when did you start realizing like, Hey, other people like this and I'm getting I, a positive feedback and, and, and feel good about making this. Yeah. Well, I think it was, I mean, I think in middle and high school when I, I, I just drew a lot. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I was that kid, you know, I, I would have my sketchbook and I wouldn't pay attention in class and yep. I would just sit there and draw. Um, and 
I got positive feedback. I mean, of course, not for the teachers. Teachers would get pissed and take my sketchbook away. But the other students, I'll get positive feedback, which as an awkward, uh, let's almost say maybe a bit of a Melvin uh, kid. Um, a Melvin. <laughs> yeah, <I'm, laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't get positive feedback from peers very often, but if I knew how to draw SpongeBob, they're like, Vic's the kid who knows how to draw SpongeBob. Yeah. Um, and I think it just kind of spawned from there and then into high school, you know, I, you know, I enjoyed art class the, the most. And for, for a while I, I wanted to be a, a concept artist for video games. Um, that was like my, like my big, like, okay, this is what I want to do for a living for the majority of like my young life. Um, Cause I remember like there's one day where it, I, I just learned about, it. I was like, wait a minute there's someone who has to draw out what they put in video games. And that like, mm-hmm. that once again blew my mind. Um, and then from there, I think I, I just kind of kept developing my skills. And then near the end of high school, I, I think it was actually, it may have been, it may have been Nathan Durfee. He was doing a teaching, uh, like a teaching thing at our school for the summer. And I mentioned that. And he told me that here's the thing about being a concept artist it is a great job for an illustrator to go into, but you have to be very careful because it's one of those jobs that can make you hate drawing. Um, yeah. Well, and then you don't own the art. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and you don't draw what you want. You are like, I remember a story about it. I think it was a concept artist who was working on uh, this uh, series. It's like a science fiction game called Mass Effect. And there was one day where he, he just spent an entire week drawing helmets. That's all he drew. Yeah. He just drew like, cause they had you know, there's different helmets you could get for the characters in the game. So he just spent days, just eight hours a day, drawing different helmets in Photoshop, and that's all he did. And by the end of it, he's like, I don't want to draw another helmet ever again. So that kind of, uh, I think that kind of, I diverged from that because I, I, I realize I really like making art for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I went, I, I attended Trident Technical Technical College, and I went there just for commercial graphics, the basic graphic design program. And it's funny. um, Excuse me. There was uh, for like the first, the first like two years at that, that college, I, anytime we did a design, a design class, I, you know, try to do like traditional design stuff, you know, here's Photoshop, put down the, uh, put down the text, you know, put the images in and, they were never great. I, right. I, I'm not a great designer, but then um, I remember I, I, I hit this moment and uh, it was one of the, I forget which design class it was, but we had to do a poster design mm-hmm. for, uh, I think it's the, the, the pajama run that they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 5K? Yeah, and instead of, you know, making these images in, illustra- in Illustrator and whatnot, I drew everything out on paper, um, scanned it, and then vectorized like, it. I vectorized some of it and I basically collaged it together into and made like this illustration. And I remember uh the, the teacher, uh Sherry, Sherry Brown, I believe that was her last name at the time. And I we I put my poster up there on critique day and she's like, Where's this Vic been the entire time? Basically, wow. basically a, a really nice way of telling me, like, hey Vic, everything you've done before this is shit, but this was pretty good. Yeah. Um, well, I think she probably was inspired by the fact yeah. that you're you're you you turned it up a notch and started experimenting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, she she's actually bought some of my work uh more recently. So she she I I, I don't know 
if she realized it, but she had a pretty good effect on my development as an artist. Isn't that, um, uh, by the way, not to, to cut you off in this, yeah. that piece of feedback, like that kind of thing is so like, yeah, that is such an, an important mm-hmm. thing. So I, I love to hear when people know, when they recognize mm-hmm. like that, that person that like turned the notch up a bit or flipped the switch for them yeah. and made them realize, Hey, I, I, I could do this. Like you get that, you get that validation yeah. from someone oh, yeah. you respect. Yeah. Oh, and it, it, yeah, that, I think, yeah, sometimes I think the thing that like keeps me going the most is like when somebody, you know, sees my work and they get it, especially like my, yeah. my current, uh, style, my, style. Yeah. My, um, which it came about as a kind of a way for me to like, I, where I kind of realized I needed to pivot. Cause for a mm-hmm. while, like, I mean, like you said, you know, I was doing just like big paintings for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this point where I, I had too many paintings. Um, and, and the thing is, is it's hard. It's hard. Not, not, to, I hate to get into the business side of it, but it's hard to sell big oh, yeah. paintings. Um, and I just noticed like I would, I started doing more work on paper and people seem to really enjoy it. Um, and I could sell it for less money and people seem more willing to buy it. Right. Um, that's actually that's kind of what actually kind of got me into this current style. Uh, I would I'd say the big turning point was uh, I think it would be three or four years ago. Now it was one of the Charleston Zine Fest. Okay. Um, put on by Lee Sabish. Uh, I mean, good person to reach out to. If you Definitely. Know. Yeah. yeah. I, I've um, I've attended a couple of those. They're they're fun. Yeah. And I decided to just have a table at it. Um, and I was just gonna have some art. And she's like, "No, Vic, you got you got got to make a zine. Go make a zine." And I was like. Okay, at that point, I was developing this idea of, of the the world of Fern, um, mm-hmm. which is basically, it's the name I've given to this fictional place that I've decided to set all my art in, um, which, uh, let me know if I keep, I, I feel like I keep doing tangents off of tangents. That's um, fine. That's what podcasts are for. Yeah. <laughs> um, long form is, is yeah. fantastic for it. Yeah, actually, uh, so I'll give you the uh, the internal script I have for whenever I do conventions now when someone asks me about my art. Um, I really like the idea of lore and world building. Uh-huh. Um, as a kid, whenever I looked through a book, one of my favorite things is uh, you ever like open up a fantasy book and there's like, before they even do any text or anything, there's a map of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's I love stuff like that. Um, think, uh, did that start with Tolkien? Uh, Tolkien's the one who made it really popular. I think it, definitely Tolkien is a, a big inspiration for my work and pretty much anything that is within Fantastic, that realm. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one of the things, if you probably go back far enough, there's probably even earlier examples. Like, you probably going way back to antiquity, you can probably find, ver- you know, examples of that. But, um, and I had this moment where, um, I was working on, I was trying to do more abstract paintings at one point uh-huh. and I did this one and it kind of just looked like this odd landscape, um, which I was like, okay. Then I decided to kind of go with that. And I was like, okay, well, this is a landscape. What lives here? What are the, you know, what do the people look like? Yada, yada, yada. And it just kind of has evolved from there. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I really like the idea that you said like they're, they're very abstract in nature um, and they are, but also I, 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 I pretty much like to have like a story behind everything. So 
Um, sometimes I'll like, I even made a map for it and I'll tell people like, if you have a piece, if I, like, I can probably literally point out exactly on this map where it's at. Wow. Yeah. All right. Cause, cause the way I always looked at your artwork, I, I always felt like it was almost like, like that game, Super Mario World, where like these were all separate planets almost. Like, like there's these, like you got the feeling like th- there's these like landscapes that are just so otherworldly. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I, I didn't realize that you were connecting them all in like this, this pot, yeah. this, this theoretical one mm-hmm. planet with just different landscapes on it. That, that's yeah. pretty cool. And I will say it's not, it's not a complete, like, I try to like maintain some rules for how I, mm-hmm. how stuff looks, but and it's funny you you mentioned it being very spacey, and a lot of people will yeah. say it looks very spacey. And I I personally don't view it as like I view it as being very naturalistic and like you know grounded. I think because um, it's so otherworldly as far yeah. as like these are creatures that look something like something that might exist here, but so far, yeah, you know you know changed and and original that you're like this has to just be from a different planet. You know, it's like yeah. so you feel spacey because it looks like a space monster or a creature or a or a plant or a geographical feature that mm-hmm. just doesn't exist on Earth as yeah. we know it. You know, yeah. Um, it it, it 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 definitely is like I, I attempt to put this uh, like recognizability to everything, but mm-hmm. I must view it as if uh, this planet evolution just kind of took a slightly different. Diverge, like divergent path and the things that were a butterfly effect like yeah or an alternate the, reality that's yeah just, and and what you know what was like the more dominant uh what do we species but like like i view in this world like mammals are nowhere near as uh as prominent as they are you know on earth this is more insect type the, there's insect but it's actually um a lot of it i i imagine as like what if like plant life there evolved uh-huh. like way beyond how we have here like like so the spider you you uh you bought um that's yeah, there's, there's a piece hanging up in my studio which still needs to be framed it's just kind of still in its bag yeah. with a lot of my artwork that hasn't been framed oh, I, I like the, I like the sticker you used to hang it yes <laughs> but um the the what the species is I actually view it as basically it's it's a walking uh like a giant walking plant and the legs act as roots. Ah, um, that's so cool. I, yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, and, and the thing is, a lot of people wouldn't know that if I didn't tell them that. Um, which it's, it, that's your interpretation of what other people take out of it, That which is the beauty of, of the kind of art you create. Um, and that, that is one of my favorite things, too, is, is how people interpret my work. Because um, very often I'll get people will come up to me and ask me, uh, are you inspired by like this author or this mm-hmm. Ill, you know, artist? And sometimes it's artists that I've never heard of. Um. And I'll look up later. It's like, oh, I can see where they got that from. Um, and I I like that because it's almost like there's this uh, sense of like vague nostalgia, I feel like, that I, that I try to put to it where right. um, people look at it and it reminds them of something that they, you know, hold dear themselves, whether, you know, be a piece of media or, you know, something else. This um, abstract thread that's connecting us, though. But like, yeah, I mean, I you, what you're describing, I did to you. Yeah. At the at the show because I was talking to you and I looked down and there was one piece that it it just reminded me of a scene from a a video game and I was like oh this kind of looks like this and you immediately you, you at first you were like and then you were like oh I see what you're saying yeah. but it was cool because I could see in your mind 
your brain taking like this is all right this is Vic yeah. enjoying the idea that people are getting something out of it he didn't even intend yeah you know like so, yeah, yeah. so i thought i i could see that that exchange in what you're describing right now like what a fun mm-hmm. way to to engage yeah an audience is to like here's this rorschach test what do you see uh, not that your 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 art's not nearly as abstract as a Rorschach, yeah. but like here's this this thing. What do you see? And then people, without you even asking them, they're offering it up. And I did it to you without yeah. knowing that like that like you you enjoy that. So yeah. that's cool. I definitely yeah. That's probably one of the more gratifying things I see whenever like someone like interacts with my work. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, and the thing is, is my work is definitely. Um. I think it can be. It, it's there's a level of like understanding that some people have with mm-hmm. it where um some people will walk up and they say like oh very nice work very interesting or you know like a 65 year old guy that probably works at boeing comes up and he's like oh, i'd like to see what goes on inside your head and then he just walks on yeah, yeah but then sometimes someone comes up and they see it and they ask me and i explain to them i give them the the spiel i gave you and it just like clicks for them and they like oh i know exactly what you're doing and they get super super into mm-hmm. it and they become, and then you tell them the price, and they're like, "Well, of course I'm going to buy that." Yeah, because um, no offense, Vic, but you underprice yourself. <laughs> I, I, I like my work to be affordable, which is that's I, a that. I, thank you. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and it, I will say I, I've actually increased my prices a bit since I started doing this. Yeah. Because um, I will say one of my one of my my goals when I make work too is I I. I like there to be this quickness to it. Um, I, I very rarely do very like slow methodical painting. Um, it, I it almost kind of, I think it kind of exists somewhere between that and like sketchbook work because I actually, I, I really don't keep a sketchbook. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I, I try every once in a while, but it just doesn't. So you'll start something and then it'll just turn into a piece. Yeah. Um, That's and, awesome. I, and, and I, I like it to be done very quickly because I think it gives, it gives this kind of animation animated quality to it. But you say you do it quickly, but there's, I mean, even in your simpler stuff, there's a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of how I've like tried to own that skill. It's just. Do you mean, but do when you say with quickness, it's like, you're not overthinking it. You're just letting, you're just, you're definitely just, partially like over, not overthinking it and learning how to just, you know, get a lot with like, you know, a few brush strokes. Um, wow. So, well, I guess with watercolor, that that's that's definitely the minimalism of watercolor yeah. is. You know, if someone tries to overcomplicate a watercolor, it never. It, it's like, yeah. If you yeah. try to try to give it like the oil painting treatment. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is, there are watercolorists who that's what they 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 take watercolor and they specifically try to do realism with watercolor. Yeah. And they it's like amazing work, but I find every time I try to do that, where I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this like super detailed cliff and. Or like I'm gonna do every little blade of grass. It the end result it just doesn't have the same magic. I feel like as to if I just did these you know quick gestural brush strokes. Yeah, and let it let it almost interpret itself as as basically a very simple representation of contrast or light or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Mm-hmm. I that, see. Yeah, I, I think um, the 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 ability for your artwork to create these conversations is such a cool benefit for the way you're currently presenting it in, in these convention style or show type things, yeah. where, you know, like the punk rock flea market or the comic book 
uh, yeah. convention type of thing because now you're you're putting it out in front of people who are there in the mindset of absorbing looking collecting all of that stuff so they're already in that mindset and here you are your artwork looks nothing like anyone else's in that in that building Thank or you. in that thing and yeah the the people who who are going to see it and then want to have that conversation like what a fantastic little like you. thing you, you, you've you. built for yourself here as far as just filling your cup sir you flatter me well no but, because I'm a, <laughs> I, I, but i've been a fan since like i remember so for people who don't know i, I met vic doing figure drawing mm -hmm. and you used to use like inks hmm? so like, I, we're doing is, pencils or, and or I, pastels. I, I, yeah like a like a like a I'll take like a fucking Melvin. I'll show up like my dip pen and my like my bottle of ink, and I would do it with that. Yeah, and you you um, draw. My favorite part though is you draw like this realistic interpretation of the body, and then all of a sudden they'd have like a a, a monster head, a crow's head or something. Yeah, which, yeah. Part of that was me because I just didn't enjoy, at the time. I just did not enjoy drawing faces, so I'm like, yeah. I don't fucking do this. But and well, the time's not there usually to do detailed faces. So, yeah, so it's more about the gesture of the body. Oh and yeah, all that. yeah. Um, but I, I think. It's a good way to kind of bring it back to what I was talking about earlier um, with the kind of presenting my, my work at these kind of shows. Um, I said, I mentioned the turning point was at Charleston zine fest where I did my zine and I was like, okay, what do I do? For, Cause I, I, I had not done, I, I tried to, I tried to do a table at another event like years and years before that. And it did not go well. And so what I did is I, at the time I had a, uh, an old flat file that uh, my work had thrown out mm -hmm. and I just had a ton of just drawings. Cause I would, even though I wasn't trying to sell them at the time, I would just do work on paper and just like do sketches and stuff. And I would just throw them in there. Um, and then I was like, I'll just try to sell these. So I just went through, took a punch out, packaged them all up. And at that event, I, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you gotta edit that part out. No. Um, I did, remarkably well at it and people really liked these small little you know it's almost like uh I, th I think there's like something personal about it right where it's like it's not this like big grandiose painting it's like this small little piece of work that someone did it feels more personal um and that was kind of the turning point for me like okay i did by selling this work that i wasn't trying to you know i didn't even make it with the intent of selling it i did better at that than i think i'd done it almost any art show i'd held to that point um, cause before that, you know, I would do traditional shows. I think you probably have been to a few where, right. you know, the paintings on the wall and all that, and those, they would go well, but you know, it, it never felt like the amount of work I was putting in, I was getting enough of a return to make it a sustainable thing. Um, and then around maybe like a year later, I had a, uh, I had a show at the North Charleston, uh, performing arts center. Oh yeah. Um, the, the art festival that they have there. Yeah. Yes. And um, I did a lot of really, you know, big paintings for it, put a lot of work into it. And I, I'm very proud of how the show turned out. But on opening night, um, there was going to be a hurricane over that weekend. So on the same, which it's so funny nowadays, like complaining about that. It seems like so it's like, oh, well, one little hurricane, you know, when we've had like you no know, months and months of canceled stuff. But at the time I was like, well, shit, all this work. And it's like, and we rescheduled it and we had the opening, but it, you know, by that point, it was just not as, uh, it wasn't the same. The excitement kind of went, the, came the, and went. Yeah. yeah, the excitement went away and 
and like I said, it was a great show. And I, you know, I'm very grateful to Maggie um, for, you know, helping me, you know, helping me put it together. Uh, but it kind of gave me a realization that how, like, you know, what kind of a situation my, my, my work, I think works best in. Right. Um, and I don't think it necessarily works great. Like, you know, in big form on the wall, it, Cause you see my, like for people listening at home, usually my table setup, I have these like wooden displays and I'll have everything each packaged in its own little uh-huh. bag and you can kind of flip through it. And I, for some reason, I think it, it, it engages people more. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, it, and it, once you realize, Hey, cause you don't do a whole lot of prints, right? It's all original stuff. Yeah. And when you flip in there and you're like, Oh, these are all original. Yeah, everyone's because they're bagged up in like with cardboard, like you'd probably buy a print. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Oh, wait a second, these are all originals." <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I will have that that because a lot of artists that do these kinds of shows, they might have some originals, originals there, but they're some artists that they just exclusively sell prints, right? Because um, it's hard to sell it. You know, at a, con- a convention, mm-hmm. um, it's the little things like the pins and the patches and, and the, the buttons and the stickers all that stuff that a few dollars because people you know we're not talking about like people slinging you know giant wallets around going like yeah. i'm in here to invest in the you know in this million dollar piece of artwork now they're 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 usually young people that don't have a lot of expendable income and they want to get stuff from everybody yeah. you know so they're if they spend 10 bucks at your booth that's a lot yeah yeah, so so you've created this artwork, which I still think is, uh, I think you know the pricing is is a, a little low, uh, considering <laughs> the quality of it. Thank you. And and and, and, and hopefully you're not. Yeah, that hopefully you, you understand that I'm saying that to be complimentary, but also like that it, you know, at a certain, it's hard if yeah. you undervalue yourself in the beginning. It's hard to come out of that. Yeah, it's hard to like um, all of a sudden switch it because then you might have collectors. And then all of a sudden you've, you're afraid like, hey, this person that that regularly buys my work now is not buying it because it's gotten too expensive for them. Like you, you get the trap in your head. Yeah, it's definitely it's a it, it's a it's a tight rope to walk, yeah. um, which I think pricing our work in and of itself is very is difficult no matter what. Um, I will say I did. I, I still do price my work very. Uh, I like to use the word affordably. Um yeah. But I remember I, I... You want people to have it. Yes. And that's another thing. Because um, I feel like a lot of artists will fall into this trap where they get very sentimental with their work. Like, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm very sentimental about my work, but not like the actual physical thing of it. Like, I'll see people post an image, you know, a, a little drawing they made or something. And like, oh, I just did this, but I don't want to put it up in my shop because I love it too much. I don't know what to do about it. And I've never once like felt that about like Anything. an actual drawing. Wow. Like I... Because... And then this might this might be getting to like artsy fartsy uh, territory, but the, I, the way I, I kind of think about it is my like my my work. It's I mean it's a very positive uh, aspect of me, mm-hmm. um, and if somebody wants to have you know have this like I I'm more than happy to give you know give this part of me away to somebody who right. you know has a connection to it. Um, so if and if I possibly make 10, 20 bucks less than what I could have, it's, at the end of the day, it's not, it's not the, uh, the end of the world to you, me. You've actually gotten the value out of it. That's yeah. what you're saying. Um, your, your value is not necessarily entirely monetarily. Uh, yeah. I will charged. say, I will say I, I fucking love money though. Well, but you got to pay the bills. Yeah, you got to pay the bills. Um, but I was, 
I remember this is a couple years back. I was browsing through Instagram and um, this one artist, he, you might know him. I think, I think his, I think his handle is reader one. Hmm. Um, Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he saw me go through for my phone. Um, but he, he, he does a lot of prints and stuff. And he's like one of those artists where he'll do like, you know, midnight release of a print and it sells out in like five yeah. minutes. Um, and someone asked him like, how did you get, you know, how did you figure out like pricing your work? And he said, um, he started pricing his work lower than he probably should have. Um, cause like he said, one, it built, it, it helps you build up a client base. Um, and it allows you to kind of like understand what works and what doesn't. You can kind of slowly build up, you know, raise the prices to where, you know, you feel like it is worth it. So I, I, I think too, it's much better to start out pricing your work a little bit too low as opposed to pricing your work too high. Cause I think a lot right. of, especially a lot of young artists fall into that because there's this, um, I think like the modern art world has kind of made this idea of like art, the inherent monetary value of art is instantly really high. Um, Cause you see, you know, some artists will make canvas self like $5,000 and, you know, a young artist sees that and they're like, oh, so my canvas, I'm sure maybe, let's, let's say 2000 And then nobody buys it because it's... Yeah, they're not on that level yet. Yeah, they're not on that level. Um, and they get discouraged. So, yeah, so I I think I think it's more worth it to, you know, sell a piece like, I probably could have got like 20, 40 more bucks for that. And then, you know, to have a piece like, man, I, I have that, I've had this $200 uh, 8 by 10 drawing for like three years and it and it still has yet to sell. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I, I like clearing my work out too because it allows me to make more work. Right. But there, I, I like, I like the attitude though that you are, um, you're not being precious about your work for yourself. In other yeah. words, you're not like feeling a, a pang of of regret handing the artwork. You're, you're on the flip side. You're excited that someone's going to enjoy this. Yeah. That's such a healthy, yeah, view of your art, and it, it, it's, it's. Just a wonderful thing that I, I don't know how you would even explain or te- teach that to somebody like to treat your art like it's a fleeting thing and that like the whole reason you're creating it is to make that connection with people and to give it to them. And hopefully whenever they look at it, it it brings mm-hmm. brings them to a place of happiness and that you can spread that. I Yeah, it is it is a difficult thing. And I I will say I think the 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 reason I do my work, I think it makes it kind of easy too, because um, my work is very, despite the fact that we had like a 40 minute political conversation, my work is very unpolitical. No, it's, um, it's, and it's very, yeah. and there's very little of like me as an actual human in it. Um, where the, I'm, I'm a pretty standard, like middle-class dude. So I try to make my work wholly separate. Like it is like almost like its own entity in a way I view it. Um, so but, I think losing a piece, it's not like there's the story there and the story exists no matter what. And I know the story. But after it. talking to you about your philosophy and, and, and the joy that you get out of this, I, I, I would a hundred percent that say that there is you, you're in this work more than you realize. Okay. It may be subconsciously for you. You're not intentionally doing it, but yeah, that that's definitely, um, this open, inviting, just joyous, work mm-hmm. that that begs people to stare at it and 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 for the people who stop and take a minute to take it in um yeah they're they're gonna like 
they're going to be interested and they're going to yeah. want to like figure it out. And then like that. Yeah, that's thank that, you. That's that's you. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, yeah. I, I totally understand what you're not, saying. Not that you're a spider with a plant growing out of you. Mm-hmm. But um, what I'm saying is, it's like your your whole thing is like you're you're not a sh- closed off person. If someone stops to talk to you about this stuff, you're you're more than happy to yeah. to discuss it. Yeah, and I, I love that. Like I like, you know, like I did, you know, I right lately I've been doing these little drawings of these like I call them glowls, and they're they're basically just imagine a Sasquatch, but if it was a bird. And wow. I love describing those to you know to people that ask like, okay, what's the story behind these guys? And I feel like they're probably expecting you know just like oh they're just some big bird guys, but I had this actual you know idea like of the you know the the physiology of this creature and like, you know, where it exists. What is it like? What is the, what does it do? Um, and I, and, and I think a lot of that goes back to, uh, me as a kid when I drew as well. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of my sketchbooks, like I, I played a lot of video games, watched a lot of cartoons. And I definitely, uh, influenced my work as a kid. So sometimes I'll do this thing and it's kind of like, I also view it, it's a little bit cringy now, but, uh, I would just make up like imaginary enemies for video games. Yeah. So I'd like, I was like, okay, like this guy's going to be a boss battle and he does this thing and it, it throws the knife and on, on the chain and all that. Um, yeah. And like even a back Z- then, a Zelda boss. Exactly. exactly. 100%. Like, takes up the whole screen and yeah. they're just, yeah, they're, they're yeah. frightening and like, yeah. yeah. Um, and so even back then, I, I, I think I was, I was putting stories to what I was trying. Granted back then it was just me, ripping off whatever uh, video game I currently was playing. Right. Um, but I, 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 I think I definitely went back to that. Um, cause I think there was also a point as an artist where I was, I think concerned with this idea of, of maturity as an artist and like, Oh, I like, you know, I'm growing into an adult artist and I think I, it kind of hit me where I, I needed to not worry about that. And I thought like, okay, like when I was a kid, like what did I, like, why did I like to make this art? And it's because I was, you know, creating this like little imagined characters and world and stuff to it. And I, I think, you know, Fern and all this stuff, it's pretty much just me going back and just revisiting that, that drive. Um, and, and, you know, applying a more, you know, a more developed skill set to it. Have you ever, have you ever thought about um, teaming up with, with an author, with a fantasy author and and giving them these blueprints of this this fantas- fantastical fern and these these creatures and and or the plant life or whatever the whatever the life is and 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 what your your uh, things are and giving them this framework and seeing if they can develop a story that exists in your world. I've definitely thought about it because um, when people see my work too, they they will often ask me like like what do you plan to do with this eventually? Because it does feel like a lot of this is like building up to like published media or something like some people like like trying to get this developed into a video game or you know do this and this and this and i i definitely eventually want this all to kind of culminate into something be it just a book or right anything um but right now it's kind of so much of this is still forming and like there there are stories that i like that i know of that that are happening but they're all kind of spread out and they're all these little pockets um so do you have like these characters that have an arch nemesis that exists in, um, in the reality, but no one else knows about it? <laughs> not necessarily yet. Or an antagonist, I shouldn't say. Um, 
there is one there's one very specific story um that I've been very slowly working on the illustrations for it. Uh-huh. Excuse me. Um and it the 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 title I give it I call them the Forgotten Hermits. If you go on my Instagram, you can Instagram.com forward slash fic.art. Um and you can uh see a few of the drawings. And the story behind them is they were a group of explorers. Um, the people of this land, I, I view them as like just kind of naturally curious, exploratory mm-hmm. people. And they one day found this uh, this massive forest in the uh, northwestern side of their continent um, that they found when they tried to enter it, they couldn't. Um, kind of going back like like the Zelda parallels, it's basically the Lost Woods yeah. where they try to walk in and it's not like there's a barrier or anything. It's like, they, without realizing it, they will just, they get turned around. So, like, they will walk in and, like, 10 seconds later, they came right back out where they entered. And so, they became obsessed with it, um, trying to figure out, like, okay, why can't we enter these woods? Like, what's in there? Like, what's the secret that's hidden in there? Why? So, they began studying it and trying to figure it out. Um, and eventually, the majority of them just got tired because they, they just didn't, get, they got nowhere with it. They couldn't figure anything out. Um, but a handful, um, remained and they have slowly kind of lost their sanity to it. Um, they became part of the forest type of thing or the world. Almost. Um, the, 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 the inspiration for it, I, I basically, they, they've all developed their own personal religion as to like, you what, got deep into this. Yeah. And the idea was I like, it, it, cause I became interested in like how, like there's so many offshoots of like modern religion, like, there's so many different versions of Christianity. And sometimes it feels like, uh, it's just because people can't decide how, uh, how mad God is at us. Right. Like right. there's some Christianities where like, you're like, yeah, God loves all of his children. And there's somewhere it's like, God's fucking pissed at you and you better ask him for forgiveness. And I it's, mean, kind of, it's not just Christianity. It's like all the every religion. Abrahamic yeah. religions, yeah. Like Judaism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Muslims, like there's so many people that are based on yeah. that. The, they came from the same seeds. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. All of these, all these, these hermits—they've gained uh, this different idea as like what, like what is in this forest, or like what do we have to do? Um, like, there's one who I—he's uh, like a musician, and he became convinced that the sound of the wind flowing through the trees was the music of the forest, and um, if you could just figure out how to how to play in tune with it, it'll let you in. Um, Wow. Yeah, and then there's there's one who Are you writing all this down? Is this all of. just in your head or most is it of this just is in my represented head. in um, your artwork? Most of it's represented in my artwork. Uh, the first one I ever made was uh Gartholomew the nude, who uh <laughs> he just runs around nude and he his belief was that um in order to be allowed in the woods you had to like shed any all unnatural sewn garments. It'd be the from, pure version of Yeah, you, literally yeah, like he like that's like and like I made this idea that each have a sermon and it's like, you must present yourself as you are to the forest. And then meanwhile, there's one, uh, Barthamon, the beclothed who gained the exact opposite idea. Um, where he's like, no, our disgusting, like flesh forms. Like it's a, it's offensive to the forest. We must make garments of the woods and clothe ourselves into it to become accepted as one. So he just completely cover, covers himself in clothing. So he's walking around in a ghillie outfit. Uh-huh. And then there's <laughs> one. Seat. And then, I think one of my favorites right now is uh, his name is I believe Orthman the Tunnelmaker, and he's basically their their version of an atheist. 
uh-huh. where he's just like, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just simple magic. And he, he basically is just like digging tunnels to try to find his way. Like, like there's gotta be a hole somewhere like where this magic is weakened and it won't affect us. And I'm just going to keep digging until I find it. Um, and yeah, that's like, that's probably, probably I think the most flesh out story I have right now. Um, the thing is, like, I actually know, like, what's in the forest, but I, I, I think there's only one person I've told what's actually right. in there. And so you're, you're, you know, the outcome of that, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it, that's not as important as the story of how people yeah. figure out how the different creatures figure yeah. out or the different people. Yeah. Cause the thing is, is right now it's, I don't even know if I'd call it a story because the thing is, is I almost view it as it, this is just a, a landmark within this world that, like, right. Like I, I've thought of like like somebody coming upon this like in their journeys. So like this might just be part of a larger story that mm-hmm. happens one day. Um, but yeah, that, I, I feel like I feel like um, the fact that you have so much intent into all of this and so much that like you have these stories in your head and and all of this. Wow, I'm blown Thank away. You. I'm Thank I'm you. just blown away that that it's more than because at first when you said you know I'm I'm doing it quickly I'm 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 just I'm I'm putting it on you know pen to paper and I'm getting it out, but then to feel like you're getting it out because you have all of these yeah. this this timeline and and all of these things that that this architecture in your head that you've built of a fantastical world and story and all the possibilities involved in it and and damn man you you. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you need some collaborate collaborators to get involved to maybe put this stuff into an actual story, or whether it be a book, whether it be an animation, whether whatever it is, I, you're you're on to this amazing thing. Because I Thank mean, you. fantasy writing and storytelling is always based. You know, at first you have this world that exists mm-hmm. that's maybe somewhat familiar, but somewhat uh, fantastical. And you've you've gone beyond just the world itself. You you've already got the characters and the and, and the life forms, and, and and you've already figured out their anatomy. Like, yeah, you're doing the world building, and maybe I'm being like archaic in saying a novel. Maybe you're thinking more of in the lines of like an open world video game or something like that that has tinges of stuff. Whatever it is, I, you're on to something, mm-hmm. man. I will say probably if I, if I were to pick a form of media like right now that I wanted to have have this developed into, um, I feel like a tabletop game would probably be a very, would fit it well, um, which I might just because I've started playing Dungeons and Dragons a lot over the past few years. Wow. Yeah, um, we, we had this discussion because my son's gotten into it. Lately. Oh, yeah. Because of the pandemic, it's like mm-hmm. opened up this whole yeah. ability um, to do it virtually. Yeah. The, uh, and, I will say I, I've I've kind of I personally believe that I think because uh, I feel like Dungeons and Dragons there's kind of the stigma too which comes you know goes back to its inception and the satanic panic and all that <laughs> um, but I I feel like anyone could get into it and enjoy it because right. the thing is is they call it Dungeons and Dragons but I've I've played entire games that featured neither dungeons nor dragons um, and I, I definitely could see me kind of like taking the stuff and applying that kind of rule set to it because because right. it's so open-ended yeah yeah but creating a world and then mm-hmm. all of these entities and 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 then having their yeah is, yeah. is this is this a, a hero or a villain or is this somebody that's 
ambivalent to all of it and then just exists in its own yeah. thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, but I, I do, I do, I like the idea that you you have created this whole world. You figure out a way to share it, and right now you you've got this way to communicate with people mm-hmm. uh, to 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 really like kind of like introduce them to it and, and yeah. let them make what they want out of it as well. Like you're leaving that, you know, without them knowing that you've got this whole thing in your head. Yeah. Sometimes people will just like come up and buy a piece and like, I like this. I want this. I'm like, right. okay, here you go. And they walk away and they have, they're none the wiser to, you know, the story behind it. Sometimes I love that too. I love that people don't necessarily care about the story. They just like, this is a pretty painting. I want this on my wall. Well, I, well let me wrap the, this part up with, okay. with, um, have has anyone mentioned something to you that has influenced you in return? In other words, someone someone talks to you and be like, I see this, that, and the other thing, and you're like, interesting. And you might not apply it to that piece, but maybe take that and put it into something else. Not that you're stealing, but you're that I mean, we're all influenced subconsciously by things like that. But mm-hmm. do you have you do you have an example of something like that that maybe have has happened? Um so I will say the if anyone's interested in like what kind of what also kind of gave me a huge burst of inspiration to do this. Um, there's another artist, uh, Trenton Doyle Hancock. Mm-hmm. Um, his work is very much, I think visually it's, it's rather different from mine, but um, he also has like a creative mythology around his work. His is much more biblical and it's a lot more uh, the, it almost has this, uh, who's uh, like, it has like a almost Fritz the cat feel to it okay. where it's just like kind of grimy and like set in this like kind of weird, like modern world, but it's different. Um, but when I, I, when I found his work in it and I like started reading all the stories and all the, you know, lore that he had written behind it, I was like, holy shit. Like, like it was like, it was like weird finding an artist who the way he made art made so much sense to me. Like this, like, like this, this, this just melds with me so much. And I kind of, kind of applied that to what I was doing. Um, but within the world itself, um, when I first was developing it, I was making these, uh, like if you go back and look at like my really early work, you can see it. There actually might, there's none in this drawing, but a lot of times I would draw these like kind of weird floating blob things in the yeah, sky. They looked, they looked almost like Avatar, uh, you know, in av- the, the movie yeah. Avatar. Yeah. 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 Those kind of floating <laughs> islands in the, in the sky type of thing. Yes. Yeah. So Sim- similar vibe to that. Um, and I was, I, I, when I first made, I almost viewed them as like this is uh this is like the like a visualization of like the act of me painting, um, but I was talking to my very good friend Erica about it, and they just mentioned it like they kind of look like sky jellyfish. I mean, like like that's what they seemed like they would be. Like they're just these like floating creatures. And I was like, holy shit, that's really good. And I started like thinking about it more. And I was like, that makes complete sense. And then developed into why I call them uh, skydra. Um, and they're basically these, when they're born, they're just these round floating forms that are born from the earth and they're like black and white striped creatures. Um, and as they kind of get older, they just kind of amass stuff like, a. I, I was inspired by that, that crab that, uh, you were saying that crab that like will like decorate its shell. Yeah. 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 Like that. Or, or, um, or junk bug. You ever see those? No. Maybe, oh, I, maybe get them I, have, in my, I get them in my back porch every but they, they'll just like yeah. have like they'll just have stuff on their back yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh and but, them saying that they're like these look like jellyfish to me like that's what basically spawned me kind of figuring out okay this is what these things are because sometimes i will i'll make a thing and then i'll have to um 
figure out the story of it later on. If that yeah. makes sense. No, no, no. That I get it. Yeah. I get it. You're just kind of like letting your mm-hmm. letting your pen flow yeah. or, or or paintbrush, pencil, whatever it is you're using to start the the, the sketch. And then, yeah, then you kind of like, hmm, how does this fit into the world? Yeah. But it sounds like you've created a situation for yourself where it's like uh, you have a, uh, an endless well of inspiration. It's very, yeah, it's very open-ended, yeah. Yeah, so you, you you can easily, like, do you, I, I can't imagine you get any kind of creative block where you're like, I don't know what to do today. I'm sure it does I mean, happen. There but- definitely is, it's more of just like, well, it's, it's more of a, of a, I don't feel like drawing thing, but like, I'm always thinking about different aspects of it. Like, um. Like I like I need you know it's like I make those little the zines uh-huh. and I'll just you know I've kind of focused on making ones that 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 basically have explain aspects of different regions of this world and I made one about the underworld like there's a whole like I have like an idea of like what's under the like what's under everything and like these like caverns and stuff and like yeah. the creatures live there and I haven't touched that in a long time but like I think eventually I'm like okay I'm done like working on the surface stuff I'll go back and see like, you know, develop more like the underworld stuff. Cause like eventually I want to make a map of that. That, you know, that kind of has everything placed here and there. And like, you know, it has logic applied to it. I hope when people are listening to this, this uh, part of our conversation that they're going to your website, which is it's vicart.com. Vic heart, Vic heart. It's V I K is how we V-I-K. Yeah. V I K heart.com. You got a bunch of your work on there. And then of course on your Instagram, which is uh, Vic.R. Vic.R, yes. It's, it's V-I-K dot, dot R. Yeah, it's confusing, but um, I'll say I post more stuff on my Instagram, like more, more like my up-to-date stuff. But And I'll link it in the show, yeah. uh, on the show description okay, so people cool. can find it. But but I hope that people are, are looking at this stuff as we're discussing it because it's like, I think if people hear you talking about this and they look at your work, they're going to be completely engulfed in it if that's their thing like you're gonna be you can't help but not like think like oh my gosh look at the intent that went into all this stuff yeah uh it's not just what might have started as something random became something and and then blossomed into other things and then influenced the rest of your pieces that came afterwards and then characters are born and and storylines and yeah. worlds and it just it's so cool man so i'm so glad you you did this thank you, thank I, um, you. Thank you because Joe. now i'm like even more of a fan of your artwork because of understanding this and having this chance to, to sit down and talk to it thank you. talk about it um yeah dude what's it was so uh, any big things coming up soon that you could talk about because um i don't know so i don't know when this episode comes out uh n- next week on the 7th i'll be doing a small uh Thing called the Maker's Market, Mar- uh, March seventh, March seventh at yeah. uh, the House of Brews in West Ashley. Uh-huh. Um, can't make it to that. My next big event locally that I'll be doing um, in April, I believe April tenth and eleventh, that Southeast Punk Flea Market will be down here at the Omar Shrine Auditorium, same place the Captain's Comic Expo was. I'm looking forward to that. I, yeah. I, I've not been to one of these, and, and yeah, as they're a person great. Who who came up on punk rock? The name of mm-hmm. the, the the thing sounds perfect. Honestly, I don't know like how busy are like you might you might want to reach out to those people about getting out like them on an episode because I've never talked to them, but like I've I'd love to talk to them to be like yeah. like what you know I've I've toyed with the idea of maybe going to one of these things and buying a booth and setting up a podcast, podcast and just inviting like artists to come in like, during a break. Just hey, just t- talk to me about your art. Yeah, 
and then like you like put it all together. That would be or, amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have to really kind of look and think about like the logistics of it and how it would work. Yeah, sure you would need be a, loud. Yeah, <laughs> to be a lot of sanitation between. Yes, that's the other yeah. the other aspect is is like how do I make mm-hmm. people feel comfortable? Because talking to a microphone with a mask on is mm-hmm. kind of. And I will say yeah. uh, for people local to Charleston, I. I don't know if I told you, I, I am moving uh, shortly no! after that. Yes, I'll be, uh, I think, probably in May. Uh, my lovely May girlfriend the day and I never come. Um, <laughs> will be moving up to Wilmington, Delaware. Um, wow. Yeah. So I would like to, I, I, I've, I've, I would almost like to get one final, like, like an actual art show up somewhere before that. It's like a Vic's going away art show thing. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to get that. So if anybody listens to this and has any suggestions, or Tradesman Brewery, Tradesman Brewery, yeah, okay. You were there. Do we, uh, you were there for the um, for oh the yeah, Love of Art yeah. Festival, yeah. Uh, I, they, I think if you reach out to them and maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe see if that's something they'd be interested. In, even if you, if it means you have to maybe team up with somebody else, maybe a different type of artist, a, a performance artist or something yeah. like that, um, just to do something uh, there because they seem to be very open. To that yeah. kind of they, they've been really um, a valuable uh, contributor to oh, the yeah. con- continuation of an art community during yeah. a pandemic and being able to do something outside and make it feel safe for people. Oh, yeah, definitely. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for thank all you. this. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what the future comes. And, and I, man, if I, if I were a writer or a video game developer looking for ideas... I would reach out to, right. to, to Vic because you're in the pocket of, of, of that community. Yeah. So, hell yeah, man. And you, you've got this world that already exists in your head that's growing and and, and just an endless supply of, of story. Netflix, if you're listening. <laughs> Netflix, give me a call. Get a development deal with this guy. All right, man. Thank right, you man. so much. Thank you so much. Before you get going, don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And also, you can check out more at jwnpod.com or follow me on Instagram at joelatex. That's at J-O-E-L, the number eight X. Have a great day. Peace.